You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Greenville teaching pastor, Matt Humphrey. Good morning. morning. You guys doing well? Come on. It's Labor Day weekend. You guys are like the super Christians, aren't you? Uh, I saw somebody at first service that had a boat attached. I'm like, that's the way to do it. But yet, even though I told them not to leave without me, they did. So uh, we'll figure out who it is. I'm just playing. Uh, but welcome. So glad you guys are in church this morning. Uh, we've been in, in a series called Before the Throne, talking about prayer. Um, and first off, last week, Joe brought an incredible message, didn't he? Uh, prayer and worship in that, that marriage of the two. And so um, I a lot out of that. It was awesome. Um, but also, two weeks ago, I said we were going to wrap this series up, but we decided to pull an audible and keep going. So who knows? We may end it next week. We may not. We'll see what the Lord does. Um, but, uh, but we're going to continue our series on prayer. Um, I saw this article, this story I heard uh, in the 1970s. Um, the Kennedy Center for Performing Arts um, had an issue. Their gift shop uh, was hemorrhaging money. Um, they they kind of started running some rough figures and realized that that out of the four hundred thousand in sales they had, somebody was embezzling one hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars from the gift shop alone. So they they brought in kind of an outside firm to assess the situation to figure out what was going on. Um, and we also have to realize is the majority of the three hundred or so employees that worked in the gift shop uh, were elderly people who just volunteered. Um, and what they realized is as they were watching is that one, there was no formal controls. There was never an inventory that was ever done. Now you're like, that's a red flag one, right? If you run a business without doing inventory, um, you should. Um, and two, there was, there was like price lists weren't really readily available listed out for everyone to, to realize. And what they saw was that, uh, some of the, these like old ladies would be like, oh, I, I want a t-shirt. Let me take one home to my, to my grandson. Or it's like, oh, I need a couple of dollars for, for a cab fare, and they would, they would borrow, a cup because, borrow a couple of dollars because they were, they were all volunteers. And so they, they realized that like, it was everyone who was stealing. It wasn't just one person, but every single employee was taking advantage of the lack of controls, and they didn't intend for it, but it was like a, a sweatshirt here, a pencil here, a poster there, $150,000. So they inventoried, they started listing out prices for everything. And wouldn't you know, the very next year, there was zero money missing because the, the proper controls were in place and everyone understood a bigger picture about what was going on. Now, why do I bring this up? Um, I think sometimes we can get into rhythms of, of especially when it comes to prayer. Um, that we can pray the same things, that we can do the same things, that we, we bless the food before we eat it. That's important. You got to. We, we were raised in the South, right? Can't bless a biscuit before you eat it. That's heresy. Um, you, you know, you, you pray before you go to bed. Uh, you pray before you attempt to do something that you shouldn't do um, that's out of your electrical capabilities. Um, just for the, anyways, that's not personal. Uh, but we, we can get into this rhythm of playing, praying for, for travel mercies and, and praying for, for people we know and loved ones and our dog has an ingrown toenail or whatever. Uh, and we, we pray for these certain things, but if we were to actually stop and to take an inventory of our prayers, of the things that we pray for. Now, I'm not saying that 
those things aren't important. God, God knows your needs. God cares for those. God wants you to bring those to him. Um, but I heard this said once is that if God answered every one of your prayers today, how many of those things would affect your life versus the life of the world around you? Which brings me to our first point is that safe prayers are usually self-centered prayers. Just being honest. Safe prayers. Lord, bless this food. Lord, Lord, take care of this. Lord, protect me as I do this. They are important things, but in the... Zoom out for a second, right? Is, is the kingdom of God the advancement of the gospel? Is it hinging on whether or not you've blessed your bowberry biscuit? Right? Lord's like, I hope they, I hope they give thanks. I hope they give thanks. And the enemies on the other side like, ooh, they're not going to bless this one. Like, this is where we attack. Like, No. It's important to pray. It's important to realize that everything we have is from God. So I'm not saying we don't need to bless our food. What I'm saying is if, if that is the depth of our prayer life, Lord, bless me. Lord, provide for this. Lord, just thank you for this food. We're operating in a really safe bubble. And, and the reality is most of the safe prayers are just about us, our comfort, our our betterment, our, our things that we care about. And, and God is wanting to take us to a depth of dependence upon him. Like the, one of the, the enemies of, of faith and obedience is comfort. Like we wrestle with it every day when we wake up out of bed, right? Like it, it is one of the enemies of, of, of doing something that requires faith is that we have to step out of this thing called our comfort zone, right? No one defaults to uncomfortability or un uncomfortable. No one defaults to that. We all want comfort. So what do we do with this? How do we, uh, how do we not have safe prayers? Yes, those things are good, but if that's all that we're doing, we're, we're, we're lacking in something. We're, we're, how are we truly following Jesus if we only pray to thank him for the food that we're about to receive and to, to you know, provide for... A, a, a certain situation. Like, where, where can we go deeper? I want to encourage you two resources. One, some of this message is based off a book I read a couple years ago called Dangerous Prayers uh, by a pastor named Craig Rochelle. Great read, easy read, uh, phenomenal pastor. Um, another one is called Circle Maker uh, by a guy named Mark Batterson. Change the way that you, you look at prayer and praying in faith. So uh, today, I'm going to mess with all of us today. Uh, I'm going to get all up in, I said, I'm going to mess with everyone's Kool-Aid, and nobody in first service was like, huh? Uh, so anyways, uh, but I, I'm going to make us uncomfortable today, okay? Um, because the purpose of church is not for us to come to hear a good message and to go home and live the same way. The purpose of us gathering together is so that we can encourage one another, we can ignite each other's faith, that we can go out and actually live a different life. So today I'm going to challenge us with, with three kind of dangerous, really, really uncomfortable prayers. You're like, hey, great day to be in church. Um, it's Labor Day weekend, Matt, layoff. Um, so here we go. First one, search me. These are going to sound super basic. Um, and, I, and I encourage you, I encourage you at the very beginning of this sermon series that you are, and I, I pray that you are diligently taking time each day to spend time with God. Uh, 10, 15 minutes is a starting point for that. Being still, being quiet, reading God's word. If you're like, I don't remember that, start now. Um, the first prayer is, is search me. 
Um, so I'm going to be jumping kind of all over scripture today. We're going to start in the book of Psalms. Uh, we're going to borrow two prayers from David, um, and then we're going to go to Jesus himself. Um, so Psalm 139 is where we're going to start today. It's a very well-known uh, passage of scripture. You may have seen it embroidered somewhere, parts of this, uh, on a, well, I don't know what those things are called. Anyways, uh, those embroidered things that hang on a wall. Uh, you get what I'm saying. All the guys are like, yeah, I know what you mean. The women are like, there's a name for that. Cross-stitching. Is it cross-stitching? Yes. Okay, I got that right. Um, all right. I have no idea why I digress, but Psalm 139. Here we go. Starting in verse 1, and then we're going to jump down to the end. Now, David wrote this, many believe, um, later when he became king. Remember, he was anointed as the shepherd boy to, to be the next king and went back into the shepherd's field and took care of the sheep, uh, went through a lot of things. And this is later in his life when he actually became king. And this is David's prayer. Remember, these weren't lyrics. These were first prayers before there were ever songs. Verse one, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. And for sake of time, he goes on and he's talking about the depth of which God knows him, how before he was formed in his mother's womb, how, how he, God knit him together, that, that God knew him, that God knows everything about what he does, right? And if, if God knows us, God knows every day of our life, knows every thought, every need, before we ever have them, knows the beginning from the end. If he knows everything, and this is the part that gets interesting. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now, if God knows everything, then why would David then pray, well, well search me. Um, years ago, I led a lot of our mission trips um, to Nicaragua and to Peru, and an uh, um, awesome team just got back from Honduras a few weeks ago. Um, but I remember we, um, in the beginning days of this, um, I don't speak fluent Spanish. I speak just enough broken so they know, oh, Here's a gringo. Um, you're trying, okay? Um, and so we used to do a lot of outreach to kids and to teenagers, and we would do skits at times. And so uh, we did this one skit that was like all around the internet. It was the craze uh, back in the day. And, um, and when we would go on a mission trip, you would have one suitcase for yourself, and then everyone was kind of like a mule because you would have another suitcase of like mission supplies and fabric and school supplies and musical equipment and wire, like anything that we could take down and pack that 50 pound suitcase, you would carry it, you would do it. And so uh, we did this skit and it, it basically was this, this girl who was being pulled different ways at different directions by all these things. And it was just the power of the gospel. And so in this skit, uh, there was a, um, it required props and one of them was a fake gun. So I took an old pellet gun that we had, put some electrical tape on it, made it look more real. And so we, we took it down to Nicaragua with us and we made it past security and all this kind of, in my check bag, by the way, sorry, I need to clarify that. Um, and so when you go down, um, if you've never been 
to a country like Nicaragua. Um, it's interesting. Their, their security protocols and procedures are just, let's just say, different, okay? Like, uh, when you go through customs coming into the country and you have something valuable, they'll be like, oh, you owe us money for that and you pay the money for that. Like, that's just how it works. If you get pulled over, many times is that the police officer would then follow you to an ATM, you would get money out and you would pay him on the spot. Like, that's just how things worked, okay? Um, so we get in the country, we, we, I don't know you would use the word smuggle things, but we brought things in for the benefit of the ministry. And then on our way out of the country, um, leaving, uh, we're in line at the airport checking our bags and they call my name. Unless, usually not good. Um, and they take me to a back room in the Nicar- Managua, Nicaragua airport by myself. Actually, they end up bringing one other person, not someone who could speak fluent Spanish. No, no, no. Just somebody else who, who they, they called their name as well. So we go into this back room and I'm terrified at this moment. Like, I wish I had my luggage for a change of pants. Uh, like, it was, ter- I like, it's like uh, using the restroom at Taco Bell. You just don't want that occurrence to happen, right? Being singled out in the Nicaraguan airport by yourself is not something you want. Not only did they take me to a back room, then they led me and this other person out onto this back area on the tarmac where the conveyor belts are, and there are two bags lay. And I'm like, this isn't good. I'm not an expert here, but uh, I don't like where this is going. And so they open up our bags and guess the first thing that they pull out. They pull out our fake gun. That feels like a real, like it's heavy. It's got some weight to it. And I'm trying to explain. I'm like, no, I can't explain because I speak English and you don't really. Uh, and so in my broken, I'm like, you can throw it away. We need it for a skit. Jesus, you know, you know, Jesus, Cristo. Yeah, whatever I can do. Um, and then in the other bag, they kind of like, okay. And then the other bag, they pull out like spray sunscreen. And they had a bigger deal with the spray sunscreen than the apparent real looking firearm. And so we're like, keep it, throw it away, whatever. And terrified, we're like, Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. And we left and go back into line uh, after a long bit of time. That was terrifying. Like it was, it was this moment where I'm like, I'm going to end up in prison in Nicaragua and my, my future children are going to visit me here. Like I was just terrified. But there's something about, I, I always read this and I, in my head, I imagine like this spiritual TSA that we go through. Because what we're saying to the Lord, God knows everything. God sees all, knows all. But what we're saying is, Lord, search me. Search the baggage of my heart, of my life, of my mind. And if there's anything before you that offends you, lead me in the way of everlasting. Lead me. If there's anything that, that, that my way of life, my way of thinking, anything that I've allowed in that goes against your heart, your character, that you would point it out and you would change me. God, if there's any anxious thought, if there's anything that I have been like putting pressure on myself that you're the only one that's in control of, Lord, help me to surrender that to you. And so this, this prayer of, of search me is this posture of, of learning, of saying, God, I'm submitting myself to you. I'm submitting my ways. And if, if there's anything that I may have overlooked, if there's anything that I haven't realized that is in my life, in my heart, that is, that is not in line with who you are, God, I don't want it there. So rummage around. It, it, this is a, this is a uh, 
can be very transparent of a moment. This can be very kind of revealing that as we truly pray, God, search me. Because you don't ask God to search you when you know about these little areas that you're like, no, I just want to keep that for me. Let's just keep that hidden. But asking this is like, no, my desire is to honor you, God. So search me. And you know what God will do? God will point things out. And God will, God will bring things to mind and God will put people in your, on, on, your, on your thoughts and God will, God will begin to expose those things that he's desiring to change in you and in me. But it requires honesty. It requires humility. The second dangerous prayer is hide me. You're like, that sounds weird. We hide and go seek with God. Like, what, what is this? Hide me. Uh, Turn with me to Psalm 63, um, and then we'll kind of explain it in a minute. But Psalm 63, uh, David is writing this psalm while he's spending time in the wilderness. Um, David, even though he was anointed to be king, he was chased around while he wasn't king. And then later on, while he was king uh, by Saul, by his own son, David spent a lot of time in the wilderness, Sometimes with other people, sometimes by himself. And, and when you're alone in the wilderness, you have a lot of time to be in your own thoughts, to spend time with the Lord. And this is what David writes in Psalm, 130, or Psalm 63. He says, O oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I'll praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I'll praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. Because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. We see this same imagery that David uses several other times in the Psalms. You don't have to turn there, but Psalm 17, 8 says, Guard me as you would guard your own eyes. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 61 says, O God, listen to my cry and hear my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the towering rock of safety, for you are my safe refuge, a fortress where my enemies cannot reach me. Let me live forever in your sanctuary, safe beneath the shelter of your wings. Psalm 91, verse 4, He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Now you're like, one, that's kind of weird. What does that mean? Like hide in the shadow of, of your wings. It's this, this imagery. Now immediately I think of like a pigeon or a dove. You're like, that's kind of like cute and quaint. Like how do I... Do I lift them up? Do I hide under the shadow? Like, how does that whole thing work? Uh, but I, uh, Joe and I were on a mission trip to Peru, and we got to, uh, it was kind of a zoo, but it kind of like with less cages and rules. And we got to hold animals, uh, and we got to put a parrot on our shoulder. And this was really, I had a couple of pictures. Um, and then I got one of Joe too. And immediately after they put the parrot on your shoulder, like, yeah, whatever you do, don't look at it in the eye. That's great information afterwards. And so you're terrified because, yeah, he could just rip kind of part of your face off, you know. Um, it's cool. He won't do it as long as you don't look at him. So don't look at him. 
Um, and he's sitting there on your shoulder and you're just nervous because he starts like crawling around. And, uh, and that's terrifying. But then I stumbled across something that I've never seen in a kid's book. Uh, it, it's something of nightmares. Have you ever heard of a harpy eagle? Is anyone here? Okay. Yeah. Somebody's like, and I see the look in your face. I found a picture of this bird that like, this isn't something for bedtime with your kids. Okay. This is a picture of a harpy eagle. Yeah. 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 Another word for that is called the nope. Uh, this thing is actual. It's real. It weighs 20 to 20 pounds, 20 to 25 pounds. Its wingspan is like seven feet wide. It eats monkeys. If that gives you any indication of how this thing rolls, okay? Like he just snatches monkeys out of trees and like carries it back home. Like here, children, eat a monkey I just killed for you. What? That doesn't seem right or real or that give you an indication of how big its talons are. That's a human fist. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? They don't live in the area, just so you know, okay? If you have one of those little chihuahuas, that's breakfast, okay? Um, that is, like, it, it can break bones with its claws. Like, that's just, now you're like, is that the Lord? <laughs> no, so he's using this imagery of talking about, now, now if, if the eagle here has an offspring, what, is, what does the mama do? Right? What, is it, what does it do with the young? Where does it protect it? Under the wings. Gathers in the nest. It, it, it nurtures it under the wings. It protects it from the elements under its wings. It, it feeds it under its wings. It, it learns how its mom operates and, and, and functions and, and I guess maybe kills monkeys too. I don't know. But it, it, it learns from that. So the, the, the place under the wing is the place of protection, of safety, of security, of provision. And when David is using this imagery, he's saying, hey, just as a, as a youngling is nurtured and cared for and protected under the shelter of its wings, God, so am I. God, I, I'm, I'm, I'm found safe and protected and provided for under the shelter of your wings. So what does that, what does that actually look like? Like, what, 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 what does that mean how do we interpret that? One, there's a couple of things. One, that we trust God to be our shelter from chaos. Um, there's chaos everywhere. Let's face it. Like, open the news. There's chaos. Walk outside. There's chaos. Um, ride to church when you're running five minutes late. There's chaos. Um, there's chaos all around you. And what we need in the moments of chaos is shelter. Uh, a few years ago, um, in leading, leading our student uh, ministry, we, we had a beach camp where we go down to Garden City Beach and uh, we stay in these, uh, these dorm kind of style housing. It's made out of concrete, like everything's concrete. Walls, ceilings, floors, everything's concrete. It's meant for middle school boys, so let's be honest. Um, you can spray it down and pressure wash it. Uh, so everything is concrete and uh, one night we were waiting for dinner uh, and we noticed in the distance like, hey, there's some really black clouds and they seem like they're coming this way. Uh, and that's weird. Why are some of them swirling around? You know, that's interesting. And uh, wind started to blow, rain started to come, and we were like, hey, this, is, this seems like a really big storm. We should encourage all of our students that have, their parents have graciously entrusted with us into the, like, the innermost part of this building. 
Um, it got so bad that these giant Adirondack rocking chairs that weigh like 50, 60 pounds are tumbling down uh, the, the, the walkway and like slamming against the rails. A trampoline got lifted up from one of the houses and smashed into another church's bus. Like it was intense. We, we had a hard time opening up the doors and all these kids are huddled together. Some are crying. There's just, there's panic and chaos going on. Somebody's like trying to turn on worship music. And I'm like, we didn't do a head count. So what do we do? Like we're running down, we're trying to find kids. Like literally you couldn't pull the door open, but we, we huddled everyone together in this giant concrete fortress. It was our shelter. It was our place of safety. And if you have not walked through a season of chaos, or you have walked through a season of chaos, something that you desperately need is, is an anchor, is something to shelter you from the turmoil that is out there and that's in here. And this prayer of David saying, hide me, is this God in the midst of the chaos, I'm going to find my refuge. I'm going to find my protection. I'm going to find my, my, my provision in you, in the presence of God. Not in other things, not in our ability to control, but in our ability to actually surrender. Um, the second thing is we trust the Lord to fight for us. Um, God is the only one who can change hearts. We have responsibilities. We have things that we're called to do, but God is the only one that can change hearts. I mean, we know scripture tells us the, the, the battles that we face, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Things that we fight against are, are bigger than us. So why not treat and why not trust God who's bigger than us to fight for us? I mean, it even comes down to how we, um, how we try to scrap and claw our way um, to bigger and better and, and, and maybe in your, your job place or in, in position that we feel like we have to be our biggest advocate, that we have to, if we don't do it, that it's not going to come to us. But at the end of the day, if, if it all relies on us, are we our provider or God, is God our provider? God lifts up the humble and actually opposes the proud. Do you know that? If the thing, if we want God to be opposed to us, the thing that we should be is prideful. And God is, God exalts the humble and brings down the proud. And in our advancement and our betterment, like the most important thing we have to realize is that character is developed in the secret. Character is developed in the, in the, the obscurity. It's never, character is never developed with the advancement or with the stage or with the notoriety or with the fame. Character is just revealed in that. And we have to trust that in God's due timing that he will put us in the place that he has for us so that we trust God to fight for us, that God to be our advocate, that God to be the one who is going before us and things that are bigger than us. The third thing that hiding the Lord does is it allows the Lord to mend your heart. Um, this message, this, this part of this was actually kind of birthed, and I told you a few weeks ago that I've been having like, uh, I have a herniated disc on my back, and so it's, it's caused me to just have a different rhythm of life right now. Um, and I've been walking a ton. Um, and in that, just honestly, it's uh, sometimes like, it's, this isn't one of the things where you pray for patience. Like, don't ever do that. That's a dangerous prayer on a different note. Um, but in talking about prayer and being 
spending time with the Lord, I, I've, I've had the margin to spend a lot of time with God. Um, and I'm spending like 30, 45 minutes just walking and just praying and uh, walking through the woods one morning, the, like this, this whole idea of finding refuge and hiding, having God be my, my hiding place. Um, I know for dudes that sounds like, it sounds super kind of sissy right now, if I'm being honest. Like it sounds kind of like, what does this mean? Um, but it's this moment of, of, of vulnerability and transparency that I've been realizing that there's things in my heart that I've been wrestling through. And even, I've shared this before, but even like, you know, in starting the church, um, three days before we, we launched the church, my, my dad passed away from cancer. And, and, and in a series in prayer of wrestling through with like, I, I believe that God could, could have healed him. And I, and I know that God has the power to, but even how do we come to terms with that and realizing there's, there's areas in my heart that, that I'm, I'm believing and walking through God to heal. Like still to this day. And I know that God is good and I know that questions don't, don't, don't bring about that, but it's the presence of God that actually is a balm to the areas that we try to keep hidden or that we try to just stuff down or try to just manage ourselves. But there's something tangible that takes place when we allow God to be our refuge, our hiding place. We pray, God, oh, God you hide me. There is, there is this vulnerability and the, the Lord has this gentle way of pressing on things in such a way that brings healing and it brings restoration. So we trust him to mend our hearts. The fourth thing is we trust him as our source. We trust him as our source of refuge, as our source of rest. Everybody has a source. Uh, for some, it's, it's a couch. For some, it's Netflix. For some, it's a, it's a hobby. Um, for some, it's, it's, it's the security that, that you're, what used to be a 401k holds. <laughs> um, for, for some, it's, it's, a, it's a drink. For some, it's an ungodly relationship. But everybody finds rest in something. And praying, God, hide me, is saying that, God, I'm trusting you to be my place of rest. You know why? Because when we rest in the Lord, the other stuff can't come with us. Because God is a good father and he's not going to allow us to try to rest in these other things when true rest is only found in him because he's like, no, no those, are, those are destructive. Some of those are okay, but if, if placed in a position of provision, they're actually detrimental to you. So truly allowing that God, that you are my rest. Meaning that when we spend time with the Lord, when we're on our face, when we're praying, when it's just us and Jesus, that we walked away and our heart is lifted up. That as David prayed, God, lift my eyes to a rock that is higher than I. That God, there's chaos and there's all this stuff going on. But for just a moment, like, let me see something greater. Lift my eyes onto the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. That when we trust God to be our shelter, our provision, you can't help but walk away with a heart that is rested. Because his burden is light and his yoke is easy. You're like, man, this is a great message for, uh, I thought this was an easy weekend. All right, last dangerous prayer. Here we go. It's make me. Make me. This isn't like a middle school fight, make me. You do it. You make me do it. No, no. God, God does not have some ego that needs to be stroked. God, God does not need to, to appeal to something to prove himself. 
God is faithful. God is true. He is a jealous God, but he's jealous for our devotion. Um, This is about trusting God to make you and I, to make us, to mold us into the men and women that he's called us to be. This is a surrender to the process. This this isn't advanced Christianity. Let me start there. This is actually Christianity 101. Jesus himself says this in, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. It's not try to get mine. It's not advance your, your, yourself, build your own kingdom. It's not try to control everything. It's not find refuge, rest and refuge in other things. He's like, hey, if you want to follow me, here's the basis. Give up yourself. Get over yourself. Give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Like this, is, this is the message of the gospel. Like this is, this is the invitation to make me that we realize that at one point we were all enemies of God. That, that our sin separated us from a perfect heavenly father. And that the, the payment for sin, like we could never do enough, earn enough, have enough good deeds, say the right prayers, do anything in our own power to actually make us in right standing back with God. There, there was nothing that we could do. We would always fall short. And so God sent his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life, who, who was fully man, who was fully God, to live a perfect life and to willingly surrender his life on the cross. And that with his death, when he really died and he really rose on the third day with the keys to death, hell, and the grave, that if we put our faith in him, if we say, hey, there's nothing I can do on my own way to actually get right with God, but Jesus stepped in the gap and made it so that this gift of salvation, when I believe, confess my mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he raised Christ from the dead, that when we do that, we're saying, God, make me into something else. And that in the process of that, that we are guaranteed an eternity reunited with our Heavenly Father. Like, that's the story of the gospel. But it doesn't just start and end on day one. It's a daily making. It's a daily surrendering that God, that you're the potter, I'm the clay. You know the end from the beginning. I, all I can see is what's in front of me. God, help me to trust that you can see the bigger picture. God, help to trust that, that, that I don't understand it. I may not like it. It actually hurts at times. But God, I trust that you're making me into something. My, uh, my kids love Legos. Um, unless I step on one, then they don't like Legos. <laughs> um, they, uh, my, my middle son the other day was, was building this, and he started on, a, on his own. And um, he came to me like after step 37. He's like, hey, dad, can you help me? It's not working. And I'm, like, I'm looking at it. And I'm like, this looks like Greek. Because um, they try to make them 3D, like the, the pictures you know what I'm talking about. But you're like, if you didn't do every step, you're like, I have no idea where you are in this. I, don't, I can't look at it and say, oh, this piece is missing. Um, and so I was like, buddy, I'd love to help you, but I, I can't. And so he understood like the only way to fix it is to actually start, start all over. It's to break it all apart. Now, I saw this just this 
for you. Uh, one of the biggest Lego sets in the world is this Star Wars one. 4,700 pieces. Costs 700 bucks. Also nicknamed, nope. Uh, <laughs> my kids will never get it. I will never buy it for them, and no one ever should, okay? Because um, that's like a year's worth of torment. Um, but if you get to step 3,432, or you're along the way, and it's not how it should be, um, the only way really to start over is to break it up into pieces and to put it together the right way. Right? You, you, you can't fix it without actually breaking it apart. The only way that you and I can be fully made into the likeness of his son Jesus, the only way that you and I can be transformed is actually through the breaking. And that's not the fun part. But God sees the whole picture. God knows the beginning from the end. God knows that, that we, we've skipped a bunch of steps and we're just trying to put the pieces together. Like, can I make it work without breaking? And, and God is gracious and kind and loves us enough to say no. Because it's in the breaking that we actually find healing. It's in the breaking that we actually see that he is doing something greater than the pain greater than, than, than our doubt, greater than our fear, greater than our ability to actually understand. That that prayer of God make me requires an element of God break me. And that's not the fun part. But at the end of the day, if we can trust God with our salvation, with our eternity, certainly we can trust him with our life on planet earth to know that he's good, that he loves you more than you love yourself. That God wants what is best for you. And sometimes that requires some undoing of the things that you've done for yourself to be able to be put back the right way, the proper way, because he loves us and he's for us. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.